0: Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and this is part two on uh, vascular applications and we're speaking about the aorta, the ascending aorta and the thoracic aorta on the last study and let's pick it up from there. I'm showing you here two images, one with MIP and one with volume rendering and you could see the advantages just from this sequence of images of both techniques. I've mentioned many times before that we favor volume rendering but do supplement uh, it with MIP routinely. Now you can see, if you look at the image on your right with this MIP, you have a very flat image. Uh, It's hard to get a perception of the aorta in terms of a three-dimensional structure, but you do have a good visualization of the calcification. uh, And as long as I make the slab thin enough, you can get a pretty good look at structure. You look at the image on your left, which is volume rendering, and I'm showing you a little bit of the pulmonary artery. I'm giving you a really good 3D feel. Now this is a little bit of a different obliquity, but you get a very nice feel of the relationships in three dimensions which is something you really can't get with MIP. With MIP I'll slide the images so I'll be able to get a a number of different projections to make sure I can see things. We'll also use reconstructions in coronal plane and sagittal plane and off axis plane. Here's just a good example where I've rotated the structure so now I'm looking straight down the barrel of the patient's aortic valve where you can see the calcifications very nicely. And you want to make sure you're the valve properly. And so here I've rotated, see the three leaflets of the valve with one leaflet with very dense calcification. So again, it's something that we can do routinely. Um, volume rendering allows us to see the uh, relationship of calcification to valve. And here it is, two different projections. You also see the patient's LAD with calcification. But again, very good visualization. With MIP, you'll see calcification, of course, but you're not going to be able to really to put it in the perspective of where the calcification uh, exactly is relative to the valve leaflet and to basically quantify things. So again, very nice visualizations in that regard. And you can see I can play around a little bit. Another example, a little bit less calcification to truly accentuate the leaflets of the valve. And we can even do that a little bit with reverse mapping, just changing the ramp on the volume rendering to be able to get a very nice look in that scenario. So that works very well. Now, uh, looking at the uh, valves, we talk about calcification, so we do a lot of CT for preoperative planning for valve replacement. Uh, But you also can see abnormalities in valves that really are, I guess you can call congenital. If you look at this case, this patient has coarctation of the aorta, which has been repaired. You see the coarct past the left subclavian artery, which is now kind of has has been repaired, so you do have a pretty good uh, diameter there. And uh, just very nice visualization of that process, and you can see it here on the axial images. And boy, it's sure a lot easier to appreciate the coarct on the sagittal three D renderings. But remember that patients with coarct, half of the patients have a bicuspid aortic valve, and here's just a good example of that bicuspid aortic valve. So again, uh, when we're looking at different uh, possibilities, uh, again, uh, CT with gating is critical. If you don't gate you're not going to see the valves. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. I thought I'd throw this case in. This looks almost like a co but the patient had no repair. It was an adult, and this was a traumatic pseudoaneurysm. You can see the little concavity in and the little outpouching on the underside of the aorta, uh, really where the ductus would be, and this was felt to be traumatic. This was repaired. Uh, subsequently to the CT scan but a very unusual appearance which makes you do think about a a coarctation there's no doubt about it and again you can see how we use the volume rendering in this regard how it can be very helpful and how again using the combination of volume rendering and MIP um, you know we can see this indeed very nicely so a good example of that across a number of different uh, different images so that works indeed very nicely now, I want to mention one other thing. You know, we do a lot of aortas to look at changes in size. Is it getting larger? Or is it staying the same? Well, you want to be very careful. On a normal aorta, it's probably not that hard to be consistent. But in an aorta that's ectatic, like in a patient with aortic stenosis, where often five sonometers becomes critical as the point of surgery, you want to be very careful because you can see from the sagittal view here, depending where and how I put the line, things will be different in terms of measurements. And this makes the point that if you're measuring things axially versus sagittally, it can be very much different. So I think one of the things in the future that needs to be done is to have a little better understanding of how measurements are made and how you can do things precisely. Now a couple other comments. Because we scan very quickly with gated acquisitions, we see changes in flow. Here's a good example of slow flow in the patient's descending thoracic aorta, which is dilated, is aneurysmally dilated. You can see sometimes thrombus, but here's just a great example of seeing flow, and you follow it further down, you can see very large descending thoracic aortic aneurysm, with thrombus in the wall of the aneurysm. And here's that same patient when I take the images and put in a sagittal 3D reconstruction, where you can see that as you get to the uh, upper third of the descending thoracic aorta, you really do appreciate those flow-related changes. And those flow-related changes with uh, abnormal mixing and slow flow would be hard to see in a volume rendering if you make the volume rendering very opaque, as in this example. But of course, it's very easy to see that if you go to a MIP image and simply use a projection technique so uh, that indeed works very nicely and again making the point that the different rendering techniques each have certain specific values now I gave you a lecture before in the postoperative aorta but I thought I would just uh, go over a few points and here's just a good example of a case of a patient who has a small ulceration with intramural hematoma in the uh, arch and you could see it on the upper two images and then the bottom two images show it a few months later And now look what's happened. That little penetrating ulcer is now a large ulceration, and that is going to need intervention or it's going to rupture. Now repair, classic surgery is one possibility, but more and more we're seeing the use of endovascular stents. Uh, Lower cost, less hospitalization, less complications. In the right patient, it works very nicely. You can see in this example there's a complication, which is a, uh, a leak from the stent, But again, uh, the principle of endovascular stents repairing or in a trauma scenario, here's a pseudoaneurysm following a gunshot wound. And you can see very nicely, what do you do in this case? Very difficult scenario. Well, in this case, you go in and uh, you put in an endovascular stent. So something that indeed is becoming uh, very much state-of-the-art. So it was uh, cases where very focal dissections, cases where surgery is too high a risk these are really good applications another example here's a patient with a bilobed aneurysm thoracic aorta kind of a high risk patient and you can see the endovascular stent in place so again a very nice application and so uh, we are seeing that more commonly we do evaluate these patients pre-op we evaluate them post-op as in this case with an endo leak present And the endoleak in this case is interesting. If you look at the arterial phase, which is the middle portion image, uh, you don't really see a leak and you see it on late phase imaging. This makes the point that in truth, in most cases, if you want to optimize leak detection, you need three phases. A low dose non-contrast to be able to pick up any faint calcifications or densities that can be confusing later the arterial phase, and then a venous phase. So something about 30-ish seconds, and something about 60 or 70 seconds. So it's very, very important to be able to do that, to be able to recognize that. Now I showed you an example before of an ulceration in the aorta, and this is to make the point that I think we've made very clearly, that um, axial images at, at times are difficult to really put things in perspective, particularly in the arch and proximal descending thoracic aorta, Because you can see what looks like an ulceration, I guess, but boy, when you put in the sagittal mode there or in the 3D volume mode, you really now see that focal ulceration, you see the hematoma around it. And it's that appearance also that's probably going to drive you, in this case, to put an endovascular stent in to bypass that large ulceration. So again, if you looked at it from the earlier images, you can go back and look yourself if you get time. It was, n- it was impressive but it was hard to really appreciate put in perspective here with volume rendering or here with MIP you really get a great understanding. Now there's some other things I can speak about in the thoracic aorta but I think this kind of gives you a good look, a good taste of it and so I'll just conclude and say that uh, CT particularly with gating is state-of-the-art. Again timing issues whether you do test bolus or uh, Bolus tracking uh, can be critical, particularly for the ascending aorta, less important for just looking at the entire aorta uh, in a routine rule of dissection scenario, and post-processing indeed becomes very critical. So let's now move down a little bit and move to the abdominal aorta, and let's look at some of the things there, and we'll focus on the classic things, acquisition, processing of the data initially, post-processing, display techniques, and analysis. So we talk about acquisition, uh, we're talking about the scan protocols, whether it's contrast volume, the type of contrast, what are our scanning parameters, what about timing, do you need single or multiple phases? When we speak about data processing, that's more on the technical side. Really it's the protocol. What's the slice thickness? How closely do we reconstruct the data sets? Uh, We're doing 3D imaging, so 0.75 millimeter thick sections, every 0.5 millimeters indeed works very nicely. And of course, data post-processing is the process we do of transforming axials into 3D imaging. And that's a very important step. And of course, display, how do we show the information? Again, 3D mapping shows things very nicely. Color coding, but interactivity becomes very critical. And of course, we speak about data analysis, where we need to do measurements volume retrics, maybe stent design. So it's all of that uh, advanced post-processing we'll be speaking about. So let's go back and now look at things in a little bit more detail. What about uh, protocols? Well, what do we do for the abdominal aorta? We keep the patients hydrated. We give them a thousand cc's of water when they get there, have them drink over 15 or 20 minutes. That helps hydrate the patient, but also distends the stomach and small bowel, we then use IV contrast, depending on patient size, 100 to 120 cc's of either Omni 350 or Visipaque 320. Ideally we injected 4 cc's a second, uh, typically and for many cases we'll only do arterial phase imaging. Uh, in the chest we spoke about always non-contrast, the abdomen for routine de novo aortas typically not necessary. For some cases we will do delayed phase imaging as well. When we do the abdomen, you can, most of the time, use a set delay of around 25 to 30 seconds. If you're triggering, you're triggering about 120. And typically, we scan from the diaphragm to the symphysis, but depending on the scenario, we'll indeed scan lower. This issue about preset time delay, good article by Mike McCary speaking about how a 25-second delay uh, gave adequate enhancement, Um, of the aorta and intense enhancement in the iliofemoral vessels uh, without any venous contamination and making the point that you can use a preset delay now the advantage of a preset delay really is twofold one it's easy to make the protocol and b it's fast so it's very easy to get throughput if you're not playing around with test bolus or bolus tracking those aren't that difficult to do but everything takes time a minute here a minute there soon you got an hour Uh, So you can do that. Now in terms of protocols, we're going to do 3D mapping, so whether it's a 16-slice scanner or it's a 64-slice scanner, we're going with 0.75 millimeter thick sections every 0.5 millimeters. We're overlapping, uh, so that's our standard protocol. Now when looking at the aorta, there are a number of pitfalls, uh, as in the thoracic aorta, too slow an injection rate, poor timing, patients breathing or moving, or extensive vascular calcifications can be, at times, an issue. We talk about potential things we can do to help. Uh, Saline chaser is very good for getting contrast off the SVC and subclavian vein, but also it can be helpful in minimizing the amount of contrast you give to a patient. Uh, If patients are very large, it's a question typically when I ask the fish, what do you do? Well, if patients are very large, the images are just going to be basically snowstorms I use the thicker collimator and get thicker sections. So two millimeters every one rather than uh, 0.75 by 0.5 is a good scenario. And of course, the faster we scan, the less chance there is for artifact due to patient motion or breathing. So again, uh, all of those things are things we come into play. Now, what about post-processing? How do we analyze the images? And for that, we'll see you next time. Thanks very much.